Director from the front row, read to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. I'm Oge Chibo. And I'm Ian Bukta. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both in the field of public health and outside of it. Oge, what are we talking about today? So a week or so, we asked what questions people had about COVID-19. So we're going to take an episode and answer some of them, especially considering all of the recent developments. Also, at the end of the episode, the crew is going to share about what social distancing looks like for them, which looks something. But first, we are going to answer some of your questions. I want to note that we are going to answer these questions as epidemiologists and public health communicators. We are not political. We are not partisan. Um, if it sounds like we are getting political, that's absolutely not our goal. We just want to present the science and the truth as we best understand it. So that disclaimer out of the way. Uh, okay, are you ready for us to answer some questions? Uh, let's do this. Okay, here is our first question. So what is going on with masks? So originally we heard the CDC and WHO say, nobody buy masks. There's a run on masks. Everybody stop with that. But now we're hearing that it's okay to wear cloth masks and that it's actually recommended by the CDC. So what's going on with all that? So yeah, as you said, originally the CDC and WHO discouraged masks in response to the panic buying of N95s. Um, the WHO and CDC wanted to ensure that all of the N95s and surgical masks will not be gone before doctors could get them. So now, why is it more important that doctors have access to masks than the average person? It's because doctors know that they will be interacting with sick patients over and over again. If you're socially distancing, you might only be leaving your house and interacting with people once a week, like at the grocery store, especially in suburban and rural area places like Iowa. You may not even come close to more than two or three people on a daily run or walk. Additionally, new info that suggests that even cloth masks can catch virus when you cough or stop the largest droplet of spit from a cough from hitting another person's face suggests that it is worthwhile for the rest of us to cover our faces and eyes in public. Yeah, and, and we talked with Dr. Matt Nonneman a couple weeks ago about you know, what different, what an N95 respirator is, and it's a specifically designed piece of equipment to block a certain, uh, to block a certain percentage of particles. Now these cloth masks, they might not be as, they may not be as effective in blocking every single droplet, but even, you know, if we can block some of the droplets, we can potentially pr uh, protect people from transmission. Yes, and considering since um, most of us, I will say, the average person, quote, average person, we don't really have like high risk jobs that put us on front line with people who have the virus. I guess cloth masks will obviously be our best bet at this point, especially since there's that whole low access and low production of N95s and distribution of N95s. There are a lot of healthcare producers I have seen on the internet that actually have to walk, work without them or reuse one mask over and over again just because of their insured supply. So here's another question. It's time for you, Ian. Where are the tests? So the tests are kind of hard for us to answer exactly where the tests are and who can get tested. Basically, there's a shortage of tests 
Um, we've known there's a shortage of tests for a couple of weeks now. And, and so every person who wants to get tested can't be tested. So right now what the, what the hospitals are doing is they're trying to put, give the tests to people who are of the highest risk so that they, they can make decisions about their care based on the, the test result. So if you're in a healthy group that, and are showing no complications, you don't have high risk factors, um, they, they may have you wait unless your condition worsens to give you a test. And the reason for that is if you're dealing with, you know, someone who's like, who's got multiple contri uh, contributing conditions, who's a little bit older, and they need to know if it's influenza or COVID because we have treatments for influenza, we don't have them for COVID. Well, if we find out it's influenza that's causing the illness, we can start giving treatment. We can really make a decision about the patient's treatment that way. Uh, until we have adequate tests to test everyone, we have to defer to whose life can be saved if we, and what clinical you know, decision can we make with the test. Uh, but that is varying from locality to locality. Testing availability differs from place to place. Uh, the most important thing is, and the thing people are asking us is, can I get tested? And I can't tell you that, but you should reach out to your hospital and local health department because they can give you more information about testing availability in your region. So I realized that even in the definition of high risk, like there are people who, if you know that you were exposed to someone who was positive, you still, you can get tested too. Because I know that when I spoke to a health professional and they like asked me questions because I honestly, I was just going through the like seasonal change and I felt like, oh my God, this might be Corona. And then I called and then they asked me a series of questions. And then one of the questions was, were you exposed to someone who definitely was positive for coronavirus? And like, since I am from Nigeria, I noticed that most people who are getting tested are usually the rich or people who were like, yes, I was exposed. And then they get you tested. That's a good point. Um, that is one of the factors that is involved. And thank you for bringing that up. So another question we have is, how does COVID impact the existing inequalities that we have already seen in public health? Okay. So yeah, so it's definitely not going to help them. Um, many of the people who are risking their health to go to work in essential service industries may or may not have health insurance and are already more economically vulnerable than people with more job security. If you live in an area with ample space, is relatively safe and has sidewalks, it's much easier to cope with closed gyms than if you lack those resources. All of the inequities in health and the social determinants of health that we saw before are still there. Even if they look a bit different, kids who depended on school lunches for their meals are still going to depend on them, but now those are gone. Which by the way, if you can spare giving to your local food bank or any relief group providing food, you should really do it to help address one of the most obvious dangers other than coronavirus in this time. So one thing I, I call everyone's attention to is the fact that we are seeing an extremely disproportionate rate of death for African Americans, especially in our big cities. Uh, the Guardian has a great article that came out on April 8th, uh, which is the day we recorded this. And a lot of the in existing inequalities that we see in health, where people have higher hypertension and heart disease, uh, one of the main contributing factors to death from COVID-19 is 
having heart disease. And so places that we've seen the built environment, so you know, the area around people's homes, do they have sidewalks? What kind of food do they have access to? All of the things that we talk about when we talk about place mattering in people's lives, economic justice in people's lives are causing a difference in COVID deaths. And that's, that's just talking about the deaths. Think about people's mental health as well. You know, if you have a house in the suburbs and you have a yard that you can go out in and it's your space and you can just walk around in your yard, hang out outside, put your chair up on the porch, you're getting that time in the sun, you're getting fresh air, but can contrast that to people who are living in apartments or are living in the city and really can't go outside except for their one hour walk. Even at least here in Iowa, you know, I live in an apartment, but I can go outside. It's not very dense here, so I don't really have to worry about uh, contacting maybe more than two or three people. And so we are seeing the whole stay at home. I'm going to hypothesize that it's going to cause different mental health outcomes for people who can go and sit outside in their, on their front porch or hang out in their backyard for hours at a time versus people who are confined at home. Um, and don't have nearly as much space. It's hard also if you don't have a lot of space, you know, maybe you have a 300, 400 foot square, uh, square foot studio apartment, you might not be able to work out at home. I have, I'm blessed enough to have, you know, room to do push ups, you know, that sort of stuff to stay sane. But if you don't have that, then how are you gonna work out? So if I might add something about inequities, honestly, um, I think sometimes with this whole, Okay, because of with like the co coronavirus situation, I'm not just worried like about the US. I'm also worried about home. I'm thinking about like all these people whose life actually depend on like moving about, interacting with people every single day. They are living literally day to day, not even like check to check, like end of the month. It's like, what do I make today? It's what I'm going to use to feed my um, family members. This also like, okay, like our usual markets, we have <clears throat> probably over like 300 people at the same space at the same time. And now the regulations are that, oh, people can only go to the markets three days a week from, from a certain time from like 11 to two, which sometimes I think is counterintuitive because you're going to have this bulk of people going <laughs> at the same time, trying to sell as much as they can, trying to purchase as much as they can. And then obviously they are going to come in contact and like spread the disease even more. And then this whole like talking about social distancing and stuff, there's like, there's some people who don't have technology. There are a lot of people who don't use phones, who don't even have, who don't even have laptops or anything. So most of the information they're getting is by word of mouth. They need someone else who has the access to come to talk to them in whatever language that they know and all this stuff. And then you have a bunch of kids. Most of the children aren't even going to school both privileged and unprivileged children because Wi-Fi, we don't have stable Wi-Fi, we don't do online classes. And then I get how even going to school right now is the last thing on people's minds. Like I don't even want to go to lecture because my mind isn't there. But I was even trying to tell some of my students like, we need to do this and we're even privileged to be able to go to school because once this is over, it will be over. We wouldn't want to have to go back or like do more than 
and we had to do like once we're trying to go back to normal we have to do less so it's not like starting on imagine moving spring to fall and fall to spring and then everyone has to reset the whole semester and then people who are meant to graduate don't graduate anymore and personally i would not want to do that because i cannot do this semester again yeah and and two two points on that one if you're in the united states and you have a home to to be able to be you know social distancing in you are fortunate right i mean we have people on the streets even in our country but also in other countries people might be living with their cousins and their relatives with large numbers of people in the same space that we might have one or two people and so the ability to social distance is itself not a universal you know privilege to have uh, I also note that back to the idea of inequality, like consider 10 people in a house together um, versus, you know, because they don't have the money to buy multiple houses versus uh, for the like, imagine three families together versus, uh, you know, someone who's super rich having a house on 10 acres. Well, that person on 10 acres, their social distancing looks very, very different. Um, than people who are sharing a house between multiple families. Uh, and then one other thing is exactly what you were saying about students. So in the economic literature, there's a lot of research about students who go home for the summer and between grades. And one of the things that they find is that students who have access to more resources come back and have much better outcomes after summer. In those first couple of weeks after summer, they they maintain what they've learned in previous grades much better. And I imagine as we move into a place where some families don't even have access to a computer at home, some families don't have stable Wi-Fi, we're going to see that there is going to be a massive difference between families that, you know, have a stay-at-home parent or somebody who can, who's coming into the house to keep the kids occupied and make sure that they do their schoolwork versus families that don't have that. Imagine it, even if you're a family that has both parents working over Zoom, and you're working from home. And I'm not trying to say that that's easy because I understand that's in, it's incredibly hard. But imagine if you have both parents going to the supermarket because they're both cashiers at this grocery store. It's a little easier, at least if you're in the same house as, or as your kid trying to learn because they can ask you for things than if, if both parents go to the supermarket and that kid's at home by themselves. So again, I'm not trying to belittle at all, if both parents are working, how hard it is to both work and try to teach your, uh, your child. I'm not trying to belittle that at all, but imagine if you weren't even at home because you had to go to the supermarket. Okay, so moving on. <laughs> and then a question that we have heard is, does the economic damage, or I like to call it economic disruption matter, and is the damage equally distributed? So I'm going to preface my answer to this with, even though I have a degree in economics, I'm not an economist. I definitely wouldn't consider myself you know, a practicing economist, but I do have a little bit of insight on this. So we've talked about the exacerbation of, in, of existing inequalities, but the economic cost of this is really unknown. Uh, so far, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, the, the job numbers that don't come out for another day, uh, for this week don't come out for another day or two. Uh, but we've seen already 10 million people have lost their jobs. So 10 million people are out of work so far. Uh, this is far from over. I, I heard recently that a lot of people are slowing their mortgage payments. Um, this is not going to be a little blip unless 
unless our situation dramatically changes um, and we and a way out presents itself because this is going to be a, a you know multiple months that we're in this and the economy is going to take a serious hit from this. Uh, but let's talk about the health side because that's something we're a little bit more comfortable with this on this podcast. Um, recessions and depressions cause serious mental health and physical health problems. So we need to work to mitigate the par- the harms. We can't just focus on infectious disease. We need to work within the constraints of quarantine to give people access to health, to preserve jobs, um, especially because inequality doesn't go away just because there's a virus. And I'd also note that I've heard a lot of people talking um, on the internet about, well, what if we just, what if this whole quarantine, we just give it up because it's causing more economic damage than it's worth? The problem is, and recently a survey among economists came out and it was unanimous, and it usually is a toss up um, between economists. This time it was unanimous. And if we were to loosen social distancing, the resulting ca- catastrophe of loss of human lives and loss of productivity because so many people would be missing their jobs and the fact that people would still be too scared because they didn't want to, you know, maybe they have asthma and they don't want to go out and contract this because it could potentially leave them in the hospital for two weeks would be absolutely catastrophic for our economy. So unfortunately, social distancing is probably the right, is the right move. It is going to be damaging to our economy. And it's going to go along the lines, again, of inequality. For those who can work from home and continue to draw a salary, they're probably going to be okay. The people who lose their jobs are going to need assistance. So, okay, on that rosy note, how does this end? So there's a lot of uncertainty around that, as we have heard throughout this conversation. Shelter in place until test and trace can resume after the pandemic reduces due to the sheltering in place. By the test and trace, we mean having enough tests that anyone and everyone can be tested and ensure that the disease has not resumed its spread. Alternatively, we need to get vaccine mass produced to protect everyone to resume their lives. With the sheltering in place until you can kind of test and trace your way out of it, fortunately, we have other nations that are farther ahead in the epidemic. And what, what we can do is watch them and their response to this disease and see when they break out of shelter in place, how they're able to do it and if it's even feasible. And we can learn from their situation. Cool. Well, let's, um, let's segue unless you have anything else you want to add. No, no, that's fine. Okay. So that's all of the questions for today. Please send us more if you have them and we'll use them on a future episode. Now we're going to switch directions and see how Korea has been handling COVID-19, which looks something. Hey everyone, since there's been so much change in such a short time, I wanted to create a place for people to share stories of daily life surrounding the COVID-19 outbreak. This week, I asked all of the From the Front Row crew to tell me a little bit about what their lives look like in quarantine. In order, we had Oge Chibo, Emma Metter, Steve Sanye, and last but not least, Ian Bukta. Hi everyone, my name is Oge Carlotta. 
and how am I coping COVID-19? I mean, I stay away from the internet or I stay away from coronavirus news, except for like once a day when I just look at like the stats and I get horrified. <laughs> but so I do meditation. I try to do home workouts. I cook more often. I listen to a lot of music and I study and do schoolwork. So that's how I guess I'm coping. And what does life look like for me? I don't know how to answer that. My life is kind of uneventful, I will say, but it's fine <laughs> because we're all in this together. <laughs> okay. My birthday was last week. So yes, I guess, yes, that's something. And like people showered me with love and adoration, which I love. <laughs> so yes that was something that made me happy oh and i got a sewing machine from my best friends so i'm definitely going to be doing that i'm into fashion so i just need to get over this period of business and then i'm going to focus on actually learning how to sew hi my name is emma metter Something I've been doing to stay sane in the midst of this quarantine has been teaching myself to do yoga and I've just been reading more books, just a way for me to do something peaceful and de-stress. Um, and something that surprised me and made me happy recently is seeing everyone in New York City gather at 7 p.m. every night and cheer and celebrate all the essential workers and healthcare workers and just showing their support and love and I think it's beautiful seeing the community come together like that. Hey all, this is Steve Sonye. I've been spending a lot of my quarantine time catching up on readings that I missed out on. I'm finally completing The Black Tulip by Dumas, which is a historical fiction novel based on tulip mania, where the Dutch Republic shifted their economy entirely towards uh, tulip bulbs. On the exciting and surprising set of news, I did uh, accept an offer to intern at Impact International, which is a policy firm, and I'll be helping to guide hospital workforce development and telemedicine implementation. So it'll be a great step forward, and I really can't wait to see where it all leads. Hope everyone is staying healthy and safe out there. Hey everyone, it's Ian. The thing that I'm doing to stay sane during quarantine is I have a couple jobs. I also, in addition to, to working on this podcast, um, I'm also uh, helping teach two classes at the college. And then also, you know, just with schoolwork, I've been so busy in the, in the recent weeks uh, that, you know, it's been good. I have not been, I'm one of those people, if I sit still for more than about two minutes, I go insane. So the fact that I've been able to be working a lot has really been helpful to me. And the other thing, and this is kind of gets into what surprised me and has made me happy in the last two weeks, is my wife actually made a calendar of events that we do. Uh, so every day we choose to do some event, some sort of thing. So last night we made crab rangoon pizza together, but usually, and the thing that surprised me was we've, we've been dancing a lot. We've been uh, doing salsa and bachata, and I am absolutely terrible at it, but it is so much fun. And I never realized that it would be the little thing of, you know, dancing for 15 minutes uh, after dinner would just be, you know, really, really fun and laugh a lot and take my mind off of things. So, yeah, that's it for me.
For me, during quarantine, I've found that staying sane includes a few different things. I've been trying to get outside and exercise while being conscious of the guided six feet of separation between myself and others. I've been biking, walking, or running at least once a day, and have found great solace in being outside in the fresh air. Luckily, I have been quarantined with my roommate, and we have been slowly binge-watching sections of Game of Thrones, a much-needed distraction at the end of these long days. I wish I could say I have been doing as much reading as Steve, but it seems that my path has led me deep into HBO shows instead. Interestingly, I have found myself being very happy to be back doing schoolwork. I have found joy in being back in a routine, even if it's a little bit different than before. I found that this time of self-isolation has been a great point of reflection for me, and I would encourage taking some time to do this for yourself as well. On a broader level, I have been taking this time to connect with my family. Being an out-of-state student, I find myself entering the bubble of isolation within my studies and friends that I have here at the University of Iowa. During the past few weeks, I have been able to reach out to my family, both distant and close. Hearing their perspectives and thoughts around the COVID-19 outbreak has given me insight into how different people are being affected by this outbreak on a very human level. As Emma said, hearing uplifting stories around the support of healthcare workers has been a light in these times of uncertainty and darkness. I believe that storytelling can be impactful and important during this period. Knowing about how different people are being affected can give us new perspectives on the on the things surrounding this pandemic and may even provide us with some much-needed hope and cohesion. In the coming weeks, I'll be talking to people in the community about how this pandemic has affected their lives. If you want your voice to be heard, send us an email at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. For From the Front Row, this is Luke Sampson. That's it for this week. You can find us on Facebook at the University of Iowa College of Public Health or on iTunes and Spotify as well at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Let us know what you thought about this episode at cph-gradambassador at iowa.edu. That's cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode of From the Front Row was hosted by Ian Bukta and Oge Chibo. It was edited and produced by Ian Bukta. So thank you to From the Front Row crew for sharing how quarantine looks for us. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. So see you next week. Happy social distancing and stay safe. All right, cool. That's done. Um, oh, okay, you're frozen again. Bye, okay. No, wait. Oh, you're I'm back. Gonna... You're back.